Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, and freedom, and everything else in between, with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is the Pinelander Podcast. It's Friday, 17 December, 2021. The year is almost over, and this is our second episode of the Pinelander Podcast. I am Paul Favor. I'm joined here with Mike Blackburn, and today's topic is something near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is Iron Sharpening Iron. That was a book that we wrote back in 2014. And I'm happy to say it's doing very well and it's doing a lot of good things for people, a lot more than I thought it would really do, honestly, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think being a small publishing company, the problem is obviously, you know, we can't run commercials. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we don't we don't do a lot of a lot of marketing. So we rely on, you know, word of mouth. We rely on somebody reading the book and telling a friend. Yeah, that's really it. It's uh, uh, as the, the book gains ground, uh, it I guess people have discovered there's some good things in it, and that is uh, really validates my ministry, uh, who the Lord uh, made me, and that is uh, to just be a minister to everybody uh, at all times where I'm out at, uh, whether I'm out at uh, you know working with the army, I'm at church, I'm out doing a mission whatever it is. And that's why I was excited to make this book with you, Mike, because this is uh, just to uh, bring people up to speed where we were talking about last time is the book really came out of a discussion that you and I had over breakfast about this topic. Yeah, it's, we certainly felt there was a need for a, a man book. That's that's kind of what we you know the unofficial title of yeah. Iron Sharpening Iron is is you know the man book that's how we always talked about it, um, but just from having conversations I mean you and I have had a ton of conversations with uh, fellow warriors younger warriors um, you know, younger I mean that's basically who we spend a lot of time with our you know young service members and just from listening to them and and listening about their, their challenges in life um, and the things that they're going through as, as a young man, uh, we certainly felt like there was a need for a man book. Yeah, absolutely. That was, and what kind of went along with this, uh, the creation of this book was being out at Camacall and being able to do a little bit more than just uh, observe, control, and evaluate, uh, so to speak. And one of those things was to, uh, to do field services. So as a, uh, a minister of the gospel, uh, which all Christians are, uh, but uh, being also a pastor, uh, I once broached the subject with the cadre out there. Hey, I would like to do a field service. And I got with the chaplain and uh, he just found out that I wasn't a heretic. And then, then he kind of let me go, kind of waved off on it. And I found that um, I found uh, a venue uh, for really talking to uh, soldiers in a way that I didn't have in the church. Uh, and that's what was really exciting about it. Well, I think the other thing, too, was, I mean, there was this one chaplain out there, and, you know, he couldn't be everywhere. <clears throat> right. I, we rarely saw the chaplain. And it's not, not you know, it wasn't because you know, yeah. he wasn't doing his job. It's just because... It's just one guy. It's just one guy, yeah. and we were spread out all over the place. Yeah. So if you you know if you had a chance to see him, you know, and show up, I mean, it was kind of a, it was a big deal. Yeah. So it was kind of you know I think people also look, looked at you, Paul, as kind of a you know force multiplier, if you will. You know, you kind of had a chaplain's assistant that could also you know go out there and carry some of the load. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of how I broach the whole subject. Like, hey, just consider me a chaplain's assistant, you know, one of your worker bees. And uh, so he turned me loose. And then I had to work with uh, the schedule, of course. So that usually meant that the field services were going to be really early. Uh, went right after the French and Indians would attack, uh, everyone's doing stand-to, which is about 30 minutes before the sun come up. So so probably around there, we're cracking the, the, the good book, and we're kind of circling the wagons, and we'd bring guys outside of the perimeter, uh, and then you know we would uh, pray, and then uh, I would have something to share with them. And what I started to do is I had my little black books. right? I wrote down, hey, what are some of the themes that really resonate with these guys that come through the Special Forces Pipeline? And I found that one of the big questions that they had was, how do you live a life that honors Christ and then close with to destroy our enemies with extreme prejudice? Or something like that. How do you take a life legally, lawfully, and then also have the mindset of um, just living out your life uh, in, a, in a biblical manner. And those were the types of questions that I always was presented with. And I tried to make, I tried to craft the messages so that they would answer those questions like that. Um, and I think, uh, I think when I was a young troop, that's something I wanted to know. I wanted to know, well, how does this interact? How does killing our enemy, how do we destroy the enemies of our country? And then also not violate Christ's command of love your enemies. And so I kind of struggled with that. And then I had to, uh, I had to you know, learn and mature, but I didn't get the answer from that back when I asked the chaplain when I was a young troop. And I always remembered that. I mean, you know, uh, you know he, he just didn't know. And it was good for me to experience knowing that and then being able to impart that biblical knowledge uh, to one of those, to many other soldiers, and actually have them give them peace of mind that what they're getting into was not violating the commandments of the Lord and not violating Scripture. And I felt, uh, you know, that that sat really well with me. So that's that's one key aspect in the development of this book. Well, you, you bring up, a, a, you know, an interesting uh, topic, if you will, and that is... I, I think there's a lot of Christians that, even though they may sit in church every Sunday, may have gone to Sunday school, you know, throughout you know their youth, they're not that well grounded in three fourths of the Bible, yeah, which is you know the Old Testament, and I think you know you're going to find a lot of those answers in the Old Testament, not necessarily in the New Testament, in the Gospels and, and what have you. So I think, you know, the nice thing about having someone who's been to seminary who is a Christian preacher is, you know, obviously you have to read the entire Bible. You have to study the entire Bible. Because I like to think you, you know, are doing that in seminary uh, as a, as a ordained minister. Because if you're not spending a lot of time, if you're not if you're not researching the Old Testament, I think you're going to have questions like that. Yeah, because you know, those, a lot of those answers are are embedded deep within the law um, and the you know, the first three fourths of the Bible. You know, what's the difference between killing and and uh, and murder? Yeah, that, and a lot and a lot of other things. Right. So that uh, just on that, I just let I me mean, just. Tease that out just a little bit because a lot of people don't understand the difference. And uh, that's something that I tackle in the book is uh, the difference between killing and murder. And both the Old and the New Testament talk about that. And uh, first and foremost, we go to, of course, uh, Exodus chapter 20, which is the sixth commandment. Uh, and uh, a lot of people think that's, you know, that should not kill, but the wording is actually that should not murder. Uh, because the Lord does prescribe capital punishment for some crimes. And so it would make no sense for the Lord to say, thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not kill. And then obviously a few chapters later, go ahead and kill this person for X, Y, Z. And uh, so 
the, the choosing of the word in the, the Hebrew uh, of the Sixth Commandment is really just two words in Hebrew, lo ratzak, just two words, very simple. And it means no illegally taking of life, no unlawfully taking of life. And that really is the crux of the matter. It, that wording was chosen very carefully. Uh, and so the whole thing, if you, the trajectory that goes into the New Testament, uh, and the one, one thing I wanted to share today is the verse I usually use out there, right? I want to share that. That's out of Luke chapter 3, uh, and it's found in verse 14. And so the occasion is John the Baptist has gone out, uh, he is uh, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He was the one that was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was baptizing people in water uh, for the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. And so he's out there. Uh, there are people coming to him. Uh, there's some tax collectors. There's Pharisees. Uh, and then we have some soldiers. And so the interesting thing about the soldiers is the soldiers in Luke chapter 3 are approaching John the Baptist in the sense that can we be saved too? Is it, I mean, are we not outside uh, the pale of grace? Is there a way for us to be brought near? And so he actually answers this. Uh, verse 14 says, Likewise, the soldiers asked him, that is John the Baptist, saying, And what shall we do? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And so just sort of a sermon on this. I think those three things teach us a lot uh, how, about how we are to uh, relate to uh, the world as soldiers, how we're to operate as soldiers. So I think uh, there's so much in there. Can I just comment on that? Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assuming these were Roman you know, centurions. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, they could have been soldiers from any variety. Herodian soldiers yeah, they, or they, Roman yeah. soldiers. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, what comes to mind is, of course, <clears throat> warfare in those days was quite a bit different than warfare today. Yeah. I, I mean, you could so, yeah, you could do it yeah. easily do a 20-year career in the military today and never see death. That's true. Um, but back then, I don't think that was, I mean, I think that would have been an extreme rarity. Yeah, very rare. So, I mean, I think these soldiers, when they're coming up to John the Baptist, have probably personally witnessed yeah. death. Yeah. And uh, and I can see where that would, you know, after the, you know, the evils of that or, or the, the just the, the extreme nature of that, those, that type of warfare, uh, really wondering, you know, is there any salvation for me? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I've got blood on my hands. Uh, I've done these, I've seen some terrible things. Absolutely. And that's what's awesome too that you also bring up is John the Baptist didn't say, are you soldiers? Well, automatically you're disqualified. So don't even try to get down in the water here. It's not going to happen. He didn't say that. And that also brings to mind what the Lord Jesus said uh, to the centurion who said, I have a, a servant and I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word because I'm a man under authority and, and I know you are. So just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, not in all Israel have I found like faith. And that was a Roman occupying power soldier. And what a statement. Uh, so obviously the answer is, no, soldiers are not outside of grace. That's and right. yes, you can serve honorably and as you have to take lives. And uh, as soldiers usually have to do, drop ordinance, close with the store of the enemy, terrible stuff. But he says, uh, what he says to him, I think is telling. He says, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And I think the right there talks about how we're to use authority uh, how we are to um, uh, use our well, power. Well, all three of those are, and I be, think, directly, know. or you know, messages for the soldier. Absolutely. You know, you're you're you're, you're under arms. You're carrying a <clears throat> weapon. You can obviously yeah. go into homes and uh, have your way. Okay. Yeah. At the point of the bayonet, you can pretty much make you know anybody yeah. do anything. So I think he's telling them, let you know, just because you're a soldier, don't abuse your authority. Don't, exactly. don't abuse the, the might that, that you've been given. Absolutely. Uh, don't uh, 
don't accuse people of, of things that they haven't done because of course you know that you'll see that quite a bit as well with within soldiers um, having to having, having to account yeah. right for what what's taken place uh, so you know be honest in all all what you see and what you do and what you hear yeah um, and then of course you know soldiers are not known for making a fortune yeah so you'll be content with what you've you know, what you've agreed to do. You, you've agreed to soldier, be a soldier, and, you know, the pay is what it is. That's it. I mean, that's that's the, the long and short of it. Uh, I would add to that, I would just say that authority uh, in Romans 13, this is kind of where you would go to camp out about authority. So the Apostle Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So that's your squad leader you don't like, your PL you don't like, your team leader, your team sergeant, whatever, that you don't like them. Well, guess what? The Lord put that person in authority over you, uh, your father, your mother. You just take, you know, pay your nickel, take your choice. That is, uh, when we acknowledge that, we're, we're acknowledging God's sovereignty, that he's on the throne of the universe. And so it tells us, like you said, uh, we don't misuse the power of the sword, God put the, the sword into the hands of the state to defend the state to defend itself. That's what Paul goes on to say. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. He goes on to say, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you shall will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So we don't bear the uh, the M4 in vain. And so just if you take this just for a second, not to go weird and say we're killing for Christ, we're not doing that, right? But we are an extension. As a soldier, we're an extension of the state. We're operating as a lesser magistrate. So when a judge looks at a man who's committed a crime worthy of death, he said, you'll be hanged by the neck until dead. May God have mercy on your soul. He is all... He has executed what the Apostle Paul just said. He's used the, the power of the sword in, in the right way. Well, I come to, you know, I think of, uh, you know, several examples in Scripture. It's not always the nation of Israel that, you know, God or Yahweh is, you know, orchestrating deeds. I mean, God has used the Assyrians. He's used the right. Babylonians. <clears throat> I mean, he's used a lot of empires outside of Israel. Yeah. to do his deeds. Egypt. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 you know, what you're saying is true. It's not just, you know, he's not just orchestrating the armies of Israel, if you will, or the sure. government of Israel. No, that's a great point because that's one of, that's really the thesis of iron sharpening iron. I've kind of went off that a little bit, but uh, the actual 10 word thesis of iron sharpening iron is, uh, corresponds to the 10 chapters. It's God making use of means works to purify his saints. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the, uh, the first word of every chapter heads off that thesis. So I don't know if you discovered that. Uh, and you might have read that and thought, hey, that's kind of peculiar to start that one word, you know, start the sentence that way. But the whole thing is this, as Mike, you just said, that God uses the good, the bad, and the ugly to bring about his glory and our good. He stands above everything and he uses that and all at the same time, not being tainted with the sin of man. So he uses uh, those things that are evil and that if we don't believe that, look at the end of Genesis chapter 50, where Joseph, who's been sold into slavery by his brothers, who spent 12 years in prison, at the very end of it, he said, what you did to his brothers, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. That's right. And God used all of the badness to bring out something good. And that's, that's really what the authority of the soldiers he's talking about. Don't misuse the power of the sword. Then the second thing, he says, don't accuse others falsely, is really about integrity. Right. And... Uh, you know, so soldiers that uh, have lied about others, you know, people that are innocent, they die, they go to Camp X-Ray, things happen, and you're misusing that authority and power that has been delegated to you by the Lord. And so you, you want to avoid that. You want to keep your, uh, your morals intact. And I just say this also, uh, doing, having spent 20 years in SOF, 
Uh, I saw the number one reason why people, why guys had problems is there were moral failings. They had some type of moral failing. They had a spouse abuse. They had pr- problems with money. They had problems, uh, you know, I'll just get real here with pornography, with other things, other types of pornography that they got into. It's terrible. Uh, but they, they had uh, their moral failings started off small and just went to a slippery slope. And uh, that's one of the reasons why you want to go to church. Because uh, you have accountability. Uh, even if you don't go to church all the time, you want to have somebody like a David and Jonathan type of scenario where you have someone that's a, that you can be held accountable to and vice versa. That's why I try to impress upon those guys. Well, it was, you know, I, I was out there, of course, at the same time that you were um, providing, you know, the services out there. And it was always amazing. I was always amazed at the number of people that just sort of, you know, were drawn to that, that, you know, you would look at them and go, well, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I doubt they even went to church on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, But a lot of these people, you'd be over there providing some sort of uh, spiritual, um, you know, nurturing, and these guys would just flock to it. Yeah. So you could tell they didn't, you know, somewhere inside of them, they were like, you know, this is good stuff and I want to get some of this. Um, so there is definitely a, a a need for it. I think especially as people get into the military, um, life gets a little tougher. Yeah. And when life gets a little tougher and there's more demands on you, I think a lot, a lot of folks in our community are looking for that sort of spiritual foundation. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, you have – this. Is, it's a tough line of work. I mean, special forces – uh, like other soft jobs, it's very dangerous. Uh, it, the operational tempo can be uh, keep you high strung. Uh, you can be out there by yourself. So you have to have, uh, and that's what's awesome about what you said is guys discovered how to, there was a sp- spiritual side to their existence that uh, they were created uh, and that they have a soul and that it needs to be nurtured and that they have to feed their soul with good things, or they're going to find themselves in a, in a dark area, a dark part of their lives, and they have nothing. There will be no uh, phone-a-friend moment. There's nothing there. And so that's what it was exciting to see guys really discover, hey, I have a soul. Yeah, and, yeah how many of uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's anything unusual about a warrior, you know, coming to God. Yeah. Um, no, the the best warriors that we've produced in our country, I would argue, are men of God. They fear God, they hate evil, and they're yeah. the best warriors that we've ever produced. I agree, hands down. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and but I, I have to, I, I really got to get this part out too. Is uh, the third thing that uh, John the Baptist says? Uh, he says, "Be content with your wages," and uh, that, as you said, you know, soldiers don't make a lot of money. And greedy soldiers are tempted to loot. Um, I had, and I might just just give a little uh, personal example uh, that when I was in, uh, I was in a position where uh, guys were collecting money uh, from uh, the post assault type of scenario, and they were just uh, kind of five fingering the money. And then later on, I found out about it. And I uh, was presented with this money. And there's no way this guy, I know, would ever be listening to this. But anyway, he can remain nameless. But I was handed a bunch of money, and they, I was told, hey, this is your cut. And I took this money, and I think it was like $4,800. It was, it was a lot. It was the Iraqi dinar that was, uh, you know, transferred into the Ben Franklin's. And I just took that, I put it into a, a shaving kit, and that night I didn't sleep at all. I couldn't sleep. My conscience really stung me. It bothered me, I'm happy to say. The next day, uh, you know, and I, all that day I thought, hey, I can, I can use this. You know, I, maybe I deserve it. Maybe this will help my family out, whatever. The next day I, I gave it back to this guy. And I said, I will flow into a room with you and shoot people in the face but I cannot take this money. And I said, uh, 
you know, I'm not going to rat you out. Uh, you know, look, it's just a personal decision that I've made. And so I gave him back the money and I immediately had a relief in my conscience. Uh, the money that we had got, uh, most of it were um, ID makers. I mean, bad guys. Uh, foreign fighter facilitators. The money was was dirty. Yeah, it'd be no different than, you know, taking money from a drug dealer. Yeah, I I really, it didn't sit well with me. And, you know, I think that could be a personal issue if that's you and you did that. Hey, I'm not making a judgment call. But for me personally, I didn't want it. And I tell you, I felt like a million bucks not taking the 4,800, pun intended. Uh, But um, I say that because you're going to be faced with the situations. You know, if you're serving in the soft community, there's all kinds of rope to hang yourself. There's going to be all kinds of situations that you're in a gray zone. Uh, It's morally gray, and you're going to have to have a moral compass that points north, or you're going to get into trouble. And uh, so I also discovered that you can be a highly trained pagan. You can go through uh, amazing... Uh, training, you can receive the best training, and you can still be a man that has a broken moral compass. And that's that was not good to see, but it, it actually can happen. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, I've got my own thoughts on this, but I'd just be curious to know what, what was going through your mind at the time. But did you have any um, reservations about how you might be felt about like it within that team? After oh, yeah. That? I mean, whether or not they, you, know, you could be trusted. Well, that was actually that was uh, absolutely the first thing on my mind. The first thing on my mind will was I'm not going to be asked to stick around anymore. Uh, and as it turned out, I wasn't. Uh, well, the next day I was shot, so that was kind of convenient. I was shot in the neck uh, in the tracheal notch. Unrelated. Unrelated. Yeah, this was someone else. Yeah, I wasn't shot by my teammates, but I was shot uh, by a guy we were going into killer capture. I found myself in a room looking up at a ceiling. Yeah, I just want to clarify that. Yeah, just to clarify that. But as I was recovering, and uh, you know, I was, it improved my voice. Uh, but as I was recovering, I was put on another team conveniently. I think, uh, yeah, I had the qualifications to put me on the other team. It was a, a recce team. But I still think that that was uh, something stank in Denmark to have well, it go I've, down like that. I've always... I've always found that, generally speaking, when you're on a team and you have somebody that's got a conviction, you know, religious conviction or whatever. Oh, yeah. Generally, the folks on the team, I think that's very, I think that's actually well-received. Yeah. I've always liked it when a guy has got morals. Yeah. Even if he's got, you know, more than I do. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it wasn't uh, the whole team. It was just one guy in particular that did not like that. Uh, and it didn't sit well with him. It was stuck in his craw. And uh, he, you know, always, he never uh, lost a chance to, to really, you know, poke fun. You know, it's like, you know, after our mission, you know, we had shot folks that, you know, Paul would go back and kind of beat himself, you know, and slap himself for that. But that didn't happen. I actually went back and read and I had... You know, my faith enables me to be safe and as safe in battles I am in bed, and that's that's the whole idea that I wanted to share with guys. You can you can close with destroy the enemies of your country. So that's Stonewall Jackson. That's I stole that from Stonewall, but I think it's a good quote. It is. You know, and he was a great warrior, and I think we should use. Felt just as comfortable in battle as he did in his own bed. Yeah, absolutely, uh, because it's that well. Because uh, that's the difference between killing and murder. And, uh, but anyway, I think that actually, I look back, and as we said, uh, God makes use of means and works to purify saints. And what he did is he used that bad thing that happened uh, for good. And uh, that's the, the, uh, the wonderful thing about Romans 8.28, which we like to use, uh, that uh, um, God uh, makes, it's really the, the verse that, that we got that God making use of means works of purified saints is all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And, uh, you know, when someone says that to you, when you're going through something bad, you want to punch him in the face. But when you go through the thing, then you'd look at it and you say, 
all things do really work together for the good. To, the, to those who love the Lord according to, according to his purpose. We don't want to forget that latter part of it. But it, God actually uses it's, that stuff. Yeah, and that's, and that's a process. I mean, that takes yeah. a little time. I mean, while, while you're going through it, obviously, oh, yeah. you're... They're talking years. Yes. So right afterward, after I was... Uh, that happened, and then I was shot, and then I was recovering and moved to another team. I felt like, Lord, you, you tricked me. I felt like Job, like... Look at what you did. You just waylaid my entire career. Uh, and I felt almost betrayed. You know, so it takes, and I was wrong, uh, but it takes time to look at that and say, okay, ah, now I see what you were doing. Because my plan was to stay in for probably 30 years, and that was not God's plan. Yeah, you have to be removed from the incident, yeah. you have to be removed from that situation and be able to, you know, look at it, look look back at it in hindsight sometimes to see, you know, what it really is. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that could take uh, weeks, time. months, years. A lifetime. A lifetime. And I, I'll be honest, sometimes I'll look back and I say, that's not exactly how I wanted things to go. Uh, but the question is, is the Lord still good? The question is yes. The answer is yes. He's still good. Even though he will thrash you, uh, that's what Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Because God's got the, he's at the helm of the universe. He's got the master plan. Yeah, he's got a plan. And well, sometimes what we think, you know, is good for us is not good for us at all. Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, isn't it good that all our prayers are not always answered? Uh, you know, I mean, what kind of world? I mean, we remember uh, Bruce Almighty. Have you seen the movie? I mean, what would the world look like if everyone's prayer requests were, you know, immediately answered? Yeah, that's a funny little part of that movie. Yeah. But uh, so I went on down the subject that I, of iron sharpening iron. We call it ISI. And that was kind of the, uh, the, the jumping off platform of iron sharpening iron in my mind. I wanted guys to know what's the difference between killing and murder and then get to these crucial aspects of serving. How do you serve uh, in special forces and with distinction, like Robert Howard distinction, and uh, destroy the enemies of your country and yet not violate Christ's command of love your enemies. And there's another distinction I wanted to make there, and that is really this. Uh, the, when Christ says, turn the other cheek, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that from an evangelical standpoint. So the point is, when you are a missionary and you're in Africa, let's just say, uh, you got a Bible in your hand and you're preaching the Word of God, well, you're in a different uh, setting than when you're a soldier kitted up going to do battle. Uh, in the one setting where you turn the other cheek, it's an evangelical setting, so you that's what is to be expected, right? Now, when you're all kitted up and you got your weapons and you're, you're going in to uh, do the mission, well, now you're an extension of the state and you're operating as a lesser magistrate of the state. I hope that makes sense. That's what's called the just war theory. And uh, on that note, uh, a lot of Christians... They have problems with that, and that's okay because uh, they're called conscientious objectors, uh, and there's really two, I guess, standpoints when it comes to this on killing. Um, that recently uh, came to mind when we had uh, a discussion on active shooter awareness at church, and we were discussing, you know, what was our position on that and how would we defend ourselves, and I was really struck by how the congregation was divided. Some of them were conscientious objectors and other were just war theorists. And I found that that's okay because I'm, uh, I'm going to fall and I, I can argue the just war theory a lot easier because um, the, the word of God in both the Old and New Testaments tell you, uh, for example, in the Pentateuch and the, the Torah, uh, if someone breaks into your house, then it's a legal killing to waylay that person to defend your family. So it's an act of love to defend your family. Uh, and in, in the New Testament, we're told by the Apostle Paul 
that uh, if you don't defend your, you don't uh, look after your family, defend your family, then you're worse than an infidel. And so that's that's the crucial aspect. Well, I also think that not everyone is meant to be Samson. That's true. Um, there's, you know, there's there's some folks, um, you know, within the church, obviously, that are going to have different roles. You know, not not everyone is the warrior, uh, but certainly, I think. Um, we probably need more warriors within the church. Yeah. So I think I, I worry sometimes mm-hmm. about the message, the message within the church, which is I think we're trying to domesticate everybody. We're trying to make everybody a little too docile. Where um, the church also needs to do a better job, I think, of of you know teaching the fact that. As men, we have a responsibility, and it's, yeah. it's not just turning the other cheek. I mean, sometimes it's kidding up and getting after it. Yeah, that's that's kind of a point that I wanted to make in Iron Sharpening Iron. That is uh, basically this. Um, as a nation, uh, we're given the sword, uh, Romans 13, to defend the state. Uh, and so when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, which was today, by the way, uh, well... Right. Uh, Ten days ago, <laughs> uh, they, uh, if we just let them keep bombing us, then there would be nothing left of the United States. And then we would be unloving and unjust. Likewise, on September 11, 2001, when the two, the two twi- uh, towers came down, if we were to do nothing there, it would be unjust and unloving. And so it's an act of love to in this sense, to take the life of someone else, if yeah, you yeah. can process that. Yeah, one of our authors, uh, Charles Tilton, I was, you know, I was just reading his bio, but, uh, you know, he was one of those countless Americans that, you know, was going about his life on September 11th. He was, he was actually enrolled as a student uh, in, in a university down in Texas, and September 11th happened, and he, he put his life on hold, you know, I'll take care of the education later. And he enlisted in the United States Army on September 12th. Good man. And there was nice. a bunch of people all across wow. the country that did just that. Yeah. And to me, that's that's really what being an yeah. American man is all about. Absolutely. I mean, that's the my whole, uh, I guess, little mini rant right there is that taking the life of someone that's attacking your family is an act of love. Someone breaks into your house and you take their life. You're not murdering that person. You're, it's an act of love defending your loved ones. I mean, that's really what active shooter awareness response is at church. And so when I, I tried to explain that to the half of the congregation, they didn't get it, that's okay. That's fine. Like you said, not everybody's going to be a Samson. That's fine. I think it's a great analogy. I'm going to use that now. But the other thing I, I remembered is... Uh, you know, uh, there's been some greats in the history. Uh, two people, in fact, uh, one is Alvin York, right. uh, Sergeant Alvin York of the 82nd Airborne. Uh, he served with distinction in the First World War. And the big thing was he was a conscientious objector uh, initially in basic training. And uh, this was identified, and his company commander said, you're going to go home for two weeks, think about it. If you want to... Uh, stay a conscientious objector. I will sign a paperwork and get out. He went home back to Tennessee, did some soul searching, and he discovered from the Word of God this position that I have presented. I hope that I presented well enough, and that is the just war theory. And uh, and I just I failed to point out uh, a couple of points here, just to to back up. There's really five principles of the just war, and I'm going somewhere with this. Number one is uh, the war is waged by a legitimate government. That's number one. Two, the war is uh, a worthy cause. Uh, three, it's with thor- force proportional to the attack. Four is when all other means of resolution have failed. And five, it's against men who are soldiers, not civilians. And so this is, it's really a sin versus a wisdom issue to kind of know the difference. And so Alvin York found out uh, he f- discovered this, and then you know what he did? He went to France. Uh, he distinguished himself in a battle, uh, and he was awarded the Medal of Honor. 
And if memory serves me right, he, uh, I think he took out over 100 German soldiers in one engagement. Uh, it was just one heck of a mile American, one heck of a marksman. Uh, he, and it was just an amazing guy. But he went from conscientious objector, just were theorist, through a Bible study and understanding the difference between killing and murder. And I would argue the same thing for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That was a man who initially knew he was a German pastor uh, in the 30s. And in 1933, when uh, Hitler became the chancellor of Germany, he that really bothered his conscience. He was a just, uh, it was not a just worth theorist, a conscientious objector at the time. And he wanted to find other ways uh, to rid, to, for Germany to rid itself of this, uh, of this dictator uh, with demonic ideology. And, uh, but over the course of the war, he became a just war theorist and actually took part in an assassination attempt uh, to take out Hitler, which I think was righteous. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. If you're not there, that's okay, because like Mike said, not everybody can be Samson. But the, my whole point is, this is something you're going to have to deal with as a soldier. You're going to have to get to a point where you say, okay, I'm going to have to take the life of someone, and what's that going to mean to your faith? I think you should have that conversation uh, in that, uh, that moment. But that's a big part of uh, iron, uh, iron sharpening iron. The other part you know, and I think we're a good ways into this podcast. Um, uh, and I know we're going to get everything we want out of it. We never do, really. But the the other thing I really wanted to go into is that uh, as a husband and a father, uh, you are the emotional thermostat and spiritual thermostat of that marriage and of that family. And I would just submit to you that as a truth uh, that... A husband and a father is a leader in that home uh, and that you're responsible for the marriage and the family as the priest of the home. And so that's something that I try to drive home in this book. I think uh, that in itself, if people can get to that point where they understand, hey, I, I'm responsible just like a squad leader or a platoon leader is responsible for anything the squad does or fails to do, so is the husband, so is the father. I don't know if you, uh, you know, want to. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought those topics up yeah. because you know ISI. I'm just hogging things here. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the first part of ISI, yeah. which which was you know for the warrior community is a big yeah, but I, I think the other thing about ISI is I, I don't care who you are. Yeah, you don't you don't have to be in the service to yeah. get something out of ISI. Absolutely, it has got some fabulous advice on you know marriage, on parenting, yeah, on your relationship at work. And I remember, you know, reading. Uh, you know, I, I spent you know it took me forever to edit the book. But, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> and, and the reason why I I know you were frustrated with me, but the reason why was, you know, I would read. A chapter, and I would literally have to set that thing down and really just kind of think about it because there's a lot of stuff in there. And I remember sitting over in Afghanistan at the time, and I was working a contract over. I was over there for a year. Um, but I remember reading a part where, you know, you're not owed a job. Yeah. And every job you have is a gift from God, and there's a reason why you're over there working that job. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. you need to. Even if it's a tough job or yeah. a hard job, sometimes you have to realize that there's a reason why you're in it, yeah. and be thankful for it, and there and you're going to get something out of it. Yeah, and it changed my entire perspective on work, and I have carried that with me ever since reading that because I, I had to sit that down to kind of think about that a lot because, Lord, as a soldier, I mean, isn't that all we do as a soldier? I mean, that's the job of the soldier is to, is to complain. That's true. Um, so I had kind of gotten into that 20-year yeah. mindset, sort of complaining about everything. And, and you know, it's kind of fun. But um, but you really, sometimes you have to kind of step back from that <clears throat> and just be thankful for the work. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that is, wouldn't that be a, a motto uh, that would be good to just uh, have America, like, plagiarize and just go crazy with it? Is you're not owed anything. You're not owed a job. Everything you have is a gift. I mean, just, I've gone very biblical today. We have, but 
I mean, that is that is the Psalms, you know, Psalm, uh, I believe, I can't remember the Psalm, sorry, I don't have it memorized, but uh, that, you know, everything in the heavens and the earth is the Lord's, right. you know, so uh, shame on me for not knowing that, but uh, I'll figure it out after this. Well, I know you'll go look it up. Yeah, I am going to look it up. So next time, and I'll remember, but oh, maybe we'll edit it so you won't know. That's right. But, uh, the, but that's the idea is just get to that point where your life, you're a steward of it. I mean, that's really a big teaching in the Word of God, and I try to impress on this too, is because God owns everything, and you're not, owe, you're not owed anything, everything that you have is really not yours, your kids, your job, your wife, your life, everything. It can all be taken away. It can all be taken away. If you don't believe me, read Daniel chapter 4, where a man's sanity is taken from him for pride for seven years. Yeah. So God can take your sanity. He can take your well-being. Yeah. And he, he can certainly take your job. He can certainly take your job. Uh, but that, that's the whole point. I'm glad you brought that up because just the work ethic alone, uh, I mean. Well, let's just be reminded of those little things. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously when I think, when I think about it, it's like, you know, duh. Yeah. But I, don't, I think we lose sight of that. Yeah. I think it's really easy to think that we're owed. Yeah. Especially in this country. American entitlement attitude. We this have drive-through mentality. We have the richest you know? poor people in yeah. the world. Yeah. Why do we know that? Because you and I have traveled the world. Yeah. And we have some very rich poor people. That's true. And, uh, and I think it's very easy in America to be, you know, everything is supposed to be like this. You know, I'm supposed to have this. I'm supposed to have that. When I turn 16, I mean, mommy and daddy are supposed to buy me a car. And the list goes on and on. And all of that, I think we just need to like back up sometimes and yeah. just be thankful for the smallest things. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they're thankful in the small things, we'll you know obviously be thankful in the big things. And that's that's something that's in there too is just uh, having trying to look at the biblical ethic, the work ethic. You know, uh, on that topic that uh, you know that you know we're to be examples. Uh, living examples of what it means to be, you know, godly. And so on that note, um, you know, being on a team and that's, I mean, there's some, there's some dark places in the army, right? And the Lord takes his servants and he puts them in those teams. He puts them on those teams for a reason. So you're there. It's not by just happen chance. I mean, you're there for a reason. You've got a mission to do. Of course, you've got a mission to do to defend our country. Yes, but it's also your mission as a Christian is uh, to evangelize uh, the guys on your team. And you can do that not by, you know, force feeding the Bible, but by, of course, living out the biblical values. Uh, and that, really, those biblical values are, are couched really in our American values. And that's what my blacksmith's all about is the biblical foundation of the United States has been eroded. And for the last uh, probably 20 years or more, even all the way back to the 50s with the repeal of the blue laws, right? You could probably take it all the way back there when uh, you had, I could go off on a long diatribe here, but th that's the whole point is the erosion of the moral fabric of the United States. How, and it is high time for people, for men and women of faith to stand up and say, this is our watch, and yes, we have to make a difference, and not to just bury our heads in the sand. Do you remember the Blue Laws? I wasn't around for the Blue Laws, but they, they were in the 50s. In well, some counties actually, still they, had them. They were actually lasted longer than that in some parts of the country. That's true. Uh, I grew up with Blue Laws. Yeah. Um, in Missouri, when I was a kid, I mean, that you know, you know, things weren't open. Yeah. I mean, Sunday, everything was shut down. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when they first started cracking, you know, businesses open. It was like um, you could get gas, you know, yep. convenience stores. I mean, things yeah. like that. That was like the, uh, you know, the the first break mm -hmm. uh, in, in rural Missouri, if you will, in the Blue Laws. But I remember the Blue Laws, and uh, yeah. I think a lot of the younger listeners have no idea what Blue Laws yeah. are. But uh, I think, I mean, that's just one. That's a big step. But then everything else, uh, evolution in schools, the Bible out of schools, prayer out of schools, and now you've got chaos. My whole point that I try to tackle in this book is, is it any wonder that we're so sexually confused, morally confused, because we took God out of our schools? We took God out of all our institutions. They try to take God out of our courts, out of the Congress, 
Congress used to pray before session, and now they say we don't need to say, we don't need a Bible in here or swear to God or any of those things. And it's just, it's sad. And it, and that's my whole point is, is it any wonder? And we wrote this, this was 2014. Right. And it was at the time where the states were voting what they felt constituted marriage. Uh, I remember North Carolina uh, voted, I think 70 percentile, whatever, that marriage was between one, between one man and one woman, which is what it is, regardless of what the Supreme Court has said. Because the Word of God says that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's it. And so if you don't like that, then you have to take it up with the Word of God. Well, uh, I didn't have, come up with the rules. Yeah, well, you would have, you would be hard-pressed to have any type of law without the Bible. At exactly. Least, at least our laws. Okay? Exactly. Um, because then if you, if you remove the Bible, then you sort of get into this kind of, well, I don't know how you do it. I mean, is it like, does, does 51% determine what right is? I exactly. Mean, that, that's getting a little crazy, um, but it is the just it is the foundation for all our laws. Is absolutely is the Old Testament. I mean, it's every it's the Ten Commandments, abs- and of course, and, and all the other laws, kind of you know, absolutely on that. Absolutely, that is that's why the book starts with an exposition of the Ten Commandments, and it goes through all ten commandments. And you should know those Ten Commandments. You should know those as a believer. If you don't, shame on you. You should know the Ten Commandments. Right. Uh, and and that not, not 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 that we are under yeah those but exactly. they are righteousness yeah yes and it's God's righteousness the law is God's righteousness it's yeah. not that you're being condemned by them anymore sure but if you want to know what righteousness is yeah that's why you need to know what those what, what the law is I, I'm glad you said that we're saved by grace through faith not of works lest anyone should boast absolutely. Uh, but the whole point is the law sends us, the law shows us that we're sinners and there's no way we can save ourselves and it drives us to the cross for grace. That's what the law does. Right. And so once we're saved, we're born again, arose by any other name, would smell as sweet. Once we're uh, a new creation in Christ, then we live out the law. And as Romans 13 says, we live out the law in love. Right. And so love, if you love somebody, you don't cheat on your, you don't cheat on your wife. If you love someone, you don't murder them. And so on and so forth. Well, we kind of got off on a little bit. We of did. It there, but Tangents are fun. They are. <laughs> but I mean, to your point is, I mean, now what we're, what we're seeing is, you know, the biblical truths being removed from yeah. government. And are we better for it? And now we're getting all these crazy <laughs> yeah. things on, on man's version of right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, and I hate to say we're this. We're so confused. But, you know, man's version of right and wrong changes all the yeah. time. Yeah, yep. So that's I the mean, idea. What what happens like a C. You know, what happens in ten years from now? I mean, what what's right then? I don't I have no idea. God help us. What's the trajectory of where we're going? Uh, and that's that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book, is this would be like a reset. You know, this would be a way to kind of uh, uh, get our minds and our hearts refocused on the word of God, on a good foundation. And uh, you know, it's a it's really high time for men and women of faith to stand up. There really is. There, we can't wait any longer. Uh, we need revival. We need people to be real. If there's good, then there obviously has to be evil. Yeah. And I don't think any of these things that we see taking place around us are by accident. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, an attack yeah. on the Word of God. I think there is an attack on yeah. the family. I think Absolutely. there is an attack on masculinity. I think there's an attack on on the roles of man and women, uh, man and woman. Um, I think there's an attack on any everything that underpins our country and the Word of God and, and our relationship. So I mean, you can sit there and pretend like uh, you know there's not uh, evil forces at play here, but I think there yeah. is. I mean, I absolutely. Think, I think, you know, if you if you think there uh, some of this stuff is by accident, I think you're just naive. Absolutely. No, that's that's really the idea of this, too. This book, uh, I think, highlights that, you know, we're at war. Uh, the, uh, you know, the devil is our arch enemy. Uh, his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy us, to destroy your life, destroy your productivity, destroy your family's peace, your well-being, and uh, just take 
any gift that God would ever give to you away from you and to bring America down. And so that is the master plan of the enemy. And, uh, you know, so our, what I've seen is once we've thumbed our nose at God and we've lended our ears to the lies of the enemy, we have what we, we see out here now. We're kind of reaping what we've served. We, we totally do deserve this. And uh, I hate to say that. Uh, we are reaping what we sow. There's a law of reaping and sowing. But there's so much more in ISI. I mean, we don't have time. We're running out of time. But there, uh, I guess the last thing I wanted to share is uh, a, a verse that uh, uh, General Boykin wrote and put into his foreword. And I thought that really summed up uh, things really well. Because uh, I'm not sure how much of the book... Uh, that you read, General, but uh, just having your forward is awesome enough, and uh, and I know you're a busy man, but he wrote this, God desires for Christian men to be mature, masculine, and responsible servant leaders in the home, at church, and at work, and that's really what this book is designed to do, and that's really what we're called to do, uh, and I, you know, we want to help you, you know, Mike and I want to help you if you have questions about this podcast, you can, uh, you can call in. Um, and you can um, hit the website, you know, you can, there's contact information there, and something you're struggling with, you know, just think of me as uh, maybe something that can help you out. Mike and I can help you. We've been there. Yes, it's uh, thepinelander.com, so you could go directly to that website, or you can, you know, obviously go to blacksmithpublishing.com, and there's, you know, a way to get uh, to the Pinelander site from there, but you can hit the contact us. Uh, we we certainly read and, and, and you know what you what you send, and we want to hear from you. Uh, if you have ideas for future podcasts, if you want to join the show, uh, you know we're we're open to anything. Um, and you know we're certainly not trying to be uh, holier than thou up here at all. I mean we're just you know we're just a couple of knuckle draggers. Absolutely, yeah. If I came across like that, I didn't mean to. Uh, you know, I'm the, I usually say I'm the dumbest guy in any room or the dumbest guy in any uh, grid square. Yeah, I don't think anybody believes that at all. But uh, I just, it's just an honor to serve. And, uh, you know, I want to share this verse also. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, and it says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, my prayer for you today is uh, that if you read anything that's worth a darn in this book, uh, it's an insight that didn't come from me. And uh, my prayer is that God will use that book to help you uh, be a better man, a better husband, better father, and that uh, you would help your wife in raising the next godly generation. Now, a lot of people use ISI also as sort of a Bible study tool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of theology in there. It's, it's kind of broken down. It would make yeah. an excellent Bible study tool. Yep. You know, where you just kind of, you know, systematically, you know, dissect it. Yeah. So if you have questions on theology also, I mean, I'd love to, uh, to interact with you, you know, and that's really the, uh, the verse that Blacksmith has is uh, Proverbs 27, 17. As, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And that's really what we're about at Blacksmith, too, is to help you uh, sharpen the tools that you have uh, in your tool bag uh, that you uh, can be focused in uh, everything that you do. And, and our goal really is to see uh, biblical families. You know, we want to foster biblical families uh, that, are, that fear God, uh, that hate evil, that love America, and the values that made America great. It's and, definitely uh, time yeah. to get back to the basics. Yeah, it's high time. So I hope that this will be used uh, to better your life and to make you more useful in ministry. Amen. 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 Well, let me just uh, pray for us. Father, I just thank you for this time we have in this podcast. I pray uh, anyone uh, in the sound of my voice that will be encouraged by today, uh, that they will be encouraged as they read Iron Sharpening Iron, and that they would uh, hear your voice in it uh, as they are better assisted to understand your word. Uh, and your word uh, is quicker, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we know that it's alive, the only book that's living. And I pray that it would give life 
uh, in your son's name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.